This and every episode of Wrecked Podcast is brought to you by Beeksy Exchange, an upcoming cryptocurrency exchange built in collaboration with One Market Data. Beeksy is bringing legacy finance speed, power, and sophistication to crypto for the first time. With 225,000 transactions per second per pair, comparable to NASDAQ, 15 order types on day one, with 25 order types on full rollout, and a dedicated customer support team, Beeksy is setting itself apart from the competition. Check out Beeksy today at Beeksy.com and pre-register today at Beeksy.com slash registration to get your free Beeksy exchange tokens. That's Beeksy.com, B-E-A-X-Y dot com. Hi, I'm Mark Weinstein, and this is Wrecked. Before we get to our interview with Mark Weinstein, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about our friends at Honeyminer. Honeyminer is back with some exciting news. They are now supporting Linux with Honeyminer Max. It is the most profitable Linux miner on the market, compatible with Ubuntu 16.04, Ubuntu 18.04, and Cent OS 7. Honeyminer Max is paying out market value plus 10%, making it, again, the most profitable Linux miner in the world. Payouts every two hours directly to your computer, 10% greater than open market earnings. Honeyminer is awesome with their one-click install mining software that helps you mine Bitcoin directly to your computer with the click of a button. Sound cool? Visit honeyminer.com slash labs. That's honeyminer.com slash labs. Or follow them on Twitter at gethoneyminer. Hello and welcome to Wrecked Podcast. I am Bunchu alongside my esteemed colleague and co-host, Crypto Chamber. Chamber, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Long, long weekend here in Canada. You know, we uh, we the, the the government gave us a uh, an extra day, uh, you know, for the year off, and that is celebrated in mid February. It's called Family Day. I have no idea what to do. There's no traditions <laughs> involved. <laughs> Uh, the guilt is to hang out with my kids and my wife. Uh, so that's what I did today. I played, uh, we played some Clue. Uh, we, uh, oh. Yeah, oh, yeah. I won too. Nice. It was. Uh, Who did it? It was uh, Colonel Mustard uh, with, the, uh, with the wrench in the ballroom. So oh, it was, it was, man. Uh, it was a solid Good old class. Colonel Mustard. Fucking classic <laughs> Colonel Mustard. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> well, uh, I we you know most of America has a holiday today too. It's President's Day. Uh, oh, is if it? You, if you knew that or not, I did not know uh, that. I did not have off today, so I'm actually podcasting on company time. So <laughs> I don't know my. Hopefully, no one knows my real identity. <laughs> and we have an awesome guest with us today, Mark Weinstein. Principal of Wave Financial, which is a crypto investment and asset management firm. You may also know him from the uh, Netflix Netflix Fire Festival movie. Uh, Mark, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, thanks. Also uh, celebrating President's Day out here. <laughs> That's it. You know, we we got a nothing but respect for our presidents. Is that the saying? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't know how to I celebrate thought... this day either. So we're trying to figure it out. <laughs> so, Chamber, how, do you that have that... any traditions for Family uh, Day? For fa- no, no, none. Not, it's I think it's only been a holiday for like six years, five, six years. So That's enough time for tradition. Yeah, I mean, I think just hang out with your family. Uh, it's mid-February, so I mean, there's not much you can really do, um, you know. Yeah, just just make. I made blueberry pancakes this morning. Just chill out and hang out with your fam. That's, it's a good time. A good day to me. Yeah. Awesome. Um, anyway, let's get rolling right into it here. So, uh, quick shout out to our friend and former guest of the podcast, Brecky, uh, for putting us in touch with Mark. Um, they they go way back and we're able to put us in touch with mark so thanks brecky we appreciate it um brecky von bitcoin yeah brecky right. von bitcoin uh, <laughs> or the noble as, bitcoin family thanks yes. crypto brecky that's AKA right jason <laughs> <laughs> just throwing them right under the <laughs> 
That's so funny. So, um, you know, I actually when I was I was excited when we heard you were going to be coming on one because I had just watched all of the uh, documentaries on the fire festival on Netflix and uh, Hulu actually I, and um, I never thought it would be something I was into I, I didn't follow it too much while it was going on and then I watched the Netflix documentary and the same exact day I watched the Hulu documentary because I was <laughs> fascinated by the entire thing so um, and then and Chamber said, hey, we're going to have Mark on. He's super into crypto. So I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. So um, tell us how you got into crypto to begin with. Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm sure um, anyone that's watched the documentary and sees music festival consultant under my name <laughs> um, is like, okay, that's a weird it's a great job. crypto entry point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a great job. Um, just not that particular job. Um, but... <laughs> But anyways, yeah, so uh, crypto. So worked in the financial services industry and investment banking um, at Jefferies and Morgan Stanley for two years. And I studied finance undergrad at Wharton coming up through the financial crisis. And basically that shaped my views on economics and, you know, everything they teach at Wharton and a lot of undergrad economic schools is Keynesian. Um, but after we saw kind of the collapse of our financial system or near collapse, there was a ton of monetary easing that happened um, and, you know, unprecedented uh, printing of money across the board, across governments, across the globe. Uh, so, you know, I started kind of diving into an alternate view of economics, the Austrian school, uh, Red Human Action by Ludwig von Mises, and kind of was hooked. Um, and so... After doing banking for two years, you know, we're going through this period where the central banks are just printing and printing and printing. And my partner and I had a sense that we were going to enter a period of massive inflation in the U.S. dollar. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but at the time, Bill Gross at PIMCO was also talking about, you know, we need to worry about inflation. And then you had Ben Bernanke and Paul Krugman on the other side saying we need more printing because we're going to end up in a, in a deflationary spiral otherwise. Um, so I started a company that had the mission to protect investors against inflation um, called Tinco, and we created a private market alternative to inflation-linked securities issued by governments, um, which are called TIPS in the U.S., Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. Um, and I worked on that for about a year, and essentially what it was was it was almost like an asset-backed token, although I didn't really know much about tokens at the time. Um, asset backed by consumer durables like toilet paper and canned foods and things like that that actually make up the inflation index. Um, and I worked on that for about a year thinking, you know, really smart, whatever, but was competing with banks in, uh, in one of the, the most aggressive um, periods for credit in the history of the United States. And, you know, we couldn't compete. Um, and also I was an asset manager with no track record trying to create an entirely new investment vehicle for pension funds and insurance companies to invest in. So that was an uphill battle. But at the tail end, I, I was introduced to Bitcoin and, you know, the digital gold thesis or sound money thesis really resonated with me. And so I invested in Bitcoin at the end of 2013. Um, four months later, the price went from 600 to 200 because of Mt. Gox. And I basically said, okay, this is either going to be a zero or it's going to be a thousand X when it takes some meaningful percentage of the gold market cap. And I forgot about it. Um, fast forward to early 2017, started thinking about it again. Um, this is actually right around the time of fire, you know, thought about investing more dollars into Bitcoin and then the price doubled and I was like, oh, I missed it. And then the price doubled again and I was like, oh, I missed it. But I took the Bitcoin that I had invested in which was not a lot, you know, whatever savings I had left after my first startup failed. And uh, and I started buying other tokens. So I bought Ethereum, participated in a couple of ICOs and was so deep down the rabbit hole at that point that I knew I had to be full time in the space. That's pretty cool. That's a, that's a pretty awesome story. So um, the from there, how did you get full time in the space? What was the jump that took you from, you know, uh, investing into, you know, Bitcoin and tokens and, and things like that to, all right, I'm full time. Here's where I'm going to find my niche and what I'm going to do. Yeah, I think it went when I moved from 
just researching and reading everything that I could possibly get my hands on on the space to actually participating in the community. Um, the community in Los Angeles it is amazing. Um, and it's this incredible mix of, you know, finance professionals who are kind of your, your crypto incrementalists all the way to your OG crypto anarchists, um, you know, who, who want to change the world through cryptocurrency. And I started attending meetups and conferences, and it was just the, the most eclectic and interesting group of people that I've ever met. And there was no shortage of, of entertainment and interesting conversation. And after a few of these meetups, um, I saw a gentleman named Brock Pierce speak uh, multiple times and, you know, introduced myself to him at a digital L.A. event in downtown L.A. Uh, and he connected me to a company that he started called DNA. Um, and, you know, I went to DNA in November of 17, um, kind of starry eyed and bushy tailed, you know, just really excited to see some of the new ICOs that were presenting there. Uh, and I literally sat in a corner and was like, I'm not going to leave this place until someone kicks me out. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, I, you know, I worked there for, for a couple of months um, until I met David Seamer, who um, started Wave Financial. Um, he's a venture capitalist for the last over 20 years now. I think he started in 95 and he founded a company called Wavemaker Partners, um, which is an LA-based early stage VC that manages around 300 million AUM across multiple funds. And in 16, David told his partners, guys, I'm obsessed with this crypto thing. I'm going all in. And they were like, okay, you know, whatever you want. <laughs> um, and he started the first crypto focused fund at Wavemaker called Wavemaker Genesis. Um, and that's with the vehicle at which I'm a principal uh, and it sits under the Wave financial umbrella. Interesting. So what exactly do you do in that particular uh, in that particular job? So my role as a principal in the fund is to analyze new investment opportunities. Um, so I like to tell people that I get paid to learn. Uh, in an industry where literally every single day there's something new to digest. And, you know, I feel like I'm drinking from the fire hose. And I don't know about you guys, but it's it's information overload in this space. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a generalist in early stage investing in crypto. And so that touches pretty much every industry you can think of. And then you have to, you know, also think about the entire stack in all those industries. So you have layer one, two and beyond. Um and there's no shortage of something to learn every single day. And I feel, you know, I feel super lucky to be sitting where I'm sitting. I get to meet some of the brightest minds in the space that are building, um, you know, building the tech. I get to meet other, you know, other investors, you know, community leaders in the space regularly and just trying to keep my finger on the pulse of where this crazy crypto world is going. It's pretty intense. There is so much to learn. Uh, I'm finding myself, you know, I have a similar story where I just kind of, you know, started down the rabbit hole and never stopped. And um, I think, you know, Chamber, I think that's kind of why we do this podcast, right, is to keep learning from every single person we have on here. 100%. I fell down a hole. I actually just fell three falls down a hole. Um, and yeah, to keep myself uh, entertained instead of, you know, uh, depressed, uh, we, yeah, we figured a, a podcast would be a good way to, uh, to talk about stuff and to learn stuff. But uh, no, it's been fun. I, we actually just had, uh, you'd mentioned Brock Pierce. We just had Brock Pierce on, uh, was it last week? For Val it was uh, Valentine's Day or, or the week before. Two weeks ago, actually, with Brock yeah. and then last week with Crystal, yeah. Yeah, so they were, I'm sure Brock was talking about Gox Rising and the work he's doing there. Absolutely. And Crystal was sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm super, super appreciative and grateful to Brock for bringing me, you know, full time into this space. Um, I, I probably, I don't think anyone can really imagine the number of people that he's inspired through his talks to kind of really take this on full time. So it's pretty crazy. I, uh, <laughs> I went back and like was re-listening to the show because I was looking for like a clip to make a video of or whatever. And I texted my brother. I'm like, I want to run through a fucking wall when I hear this guy talk. <laughs> like, I'm ready to go. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's one of the best public speakers I've ever seen. Yeah, um, it's you know. pretty, pretty. I, I was awesome. actually, I, I was actually super impressed with Crystal too. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you never know what to expect, right? And all of a sudden, yeah. she's this genius on, in oh, her yeah. own right. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's cool. a lot to learn from both of them. 
That's cool. So um, that's a pretty awesome uh, crypto genesis story. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your crypto wrecked stories. So you, we'll start. <laughs> let's start with the crypto wrecked stories. So you get into crypto, and I mean, you kind of mentioned a little bit where you thought you might have missed the boat uh, after you really were getting into it in 2017. Um, so. Do you have any great crypto rec stories for the people out there? <laughs> oh man, too many to count. <laughs> <laughs> after you, you know, after you get that first win in an ICO, it gets your it gets your blood pumping. Sure. You know, and you think and you you know, you could think that you you're smart or something and get ahead mm -hmm. of yourself. Um, and of course when everything's going up, it's easy to pick investments. Uh, and right. then they we all know what happened, you know, from January of 18 until today and so um you know i've definitely until literally today like it's been good today <laughs> yeah it's, been, it's true it's been, it's been pretty good today um i had a friend who you know who told me you know you should buy eth before eth denver it's gonna it's gonna pump and <laughs> that's not, so look, funny uh, look i'm not I, I didn't listen i'm not a trader you know I, I don't claim to be able to call tops and bottoms um of markets uh i i think we will still have more pain um over the, the coming months but I'm long term in this space, you know, I'm more of a five to 10 year time horizon. Um, there's a lot of tech that needs to get built. Usability needs to be solved. I think I'm just trying to like move away from my wreck story right now. <laughs> <laughs> no way. You got um, to give us one. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, do people name name names on, on this thing? Or, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, you go anywhere you want with it, Mark. You go anywhere you want with it. <laughs> well, yeah. So I had a win um, in, an, in an ICO called Wax uh, in in oh, December yeah. of, uh, of, I guess, December of 17. 17, yeah. Yeah. And it, it was like a Christmas present, you know. <laughs> and then uh, and, and I'm still impressed with, you know, with what the Wax team are building. Right, they're ahead of the curve on on gaming applications and and digital assets that you can trade across games using their Opskins platform. Um, but that was, you know, on paper, it was it was a nice win. And then I took some of those winnings and I invested in probably um, too many other ICOs. <laughs> uh, and especially if it was it December was seventeen yeah. and January twenty eighteen. Yeah, and then you know you're locked up for six months, and all of a sudden you're just watching, watching your, the market go down. So, I guess I guess for me, getting getting wrecked was not taking um, real money off the table in January eighteen, and just watching literally every single asset in my portfolio go down. You know, eighty ninety percent. Um, yeah, over the I, course of the year. I was I, I, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was gonna say I, I was. I, I like to think I was. I was smart enough to take my principal off the table, but probably could have done a bit more. But again, you know, who knows what happens over the next five years? We'll see. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I think we all think that in the next five years we will come out of this ahead. Um, but <laughs> you know, I, I think. I hope so. I hope so. You know. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. So I had a, a follow-up question from before where you were kind of talking about, um, the different types of crypto personalities and, and, you know, philosophical beliefs from the people that you had met in, in these LA meetups, where do you find yourself? Like, where do you fall on that spectrum of, you know, in the crypto realm? Yeah. You know, it's evolving. It's, it's ever evolving. I think, you know, when I started, when I started in the crypto space, um, you know, it, it was about non-sovereign currency, right? And so in that way, I guess I, I was falling more towards the crypto anarchist side, you know, and I really believed at the time that we were going to enter a period of, in, of outsized inflation or potentially hyperinflation in the US dollar because you know the Federal Reserve's balance sheet has expanded so drastically um, and you know where does it all end right I, I'm not I'm not sure that there's a kind of easy way to unwind um, sovereign debt without another sovereign you know lending to you like China for example mm -hmm. and we you know we see what's happening today so but as my first startup kind of showed me, these, um, you know, economic um, structural deficiencies, let's call them, can perpetuate for much longer 
than we ever imagine. Um, systems have a way of kind of surviving. And so I'm not sure that something, an event like that is imminent in the near future. But I do hold Bitcoin, you know, as a hedge against something like that. And I think it's the perfect vehicle to hedge against an event like that. And that's why I believe everyone should have some Bitcoin in, the, in their portfolio. Um, but, you know, over time and kind of as I've ent entered the venture space, I realized that, you know, we really do need enterprise adoption to drive use, you know, use of crypto going forwards. And, and I don't know that it's going to be ethos driven, meaning that it's not enough for, you know, tens of thousands of individuals around the world who advocate for decentralizing the internet, right, who advocate for sound money um, to say every other person should invest in this because frankly, the average consumer just doesn't care. And we need to get to a place where the UX UI of the decentralized web is equal to or greater than that of current centralized technology. And if that doesn't happen, then ethos enough isn't going to drive us there. Right. So I love to look at projects that are really hyper focused on that. Um, one company, Vale, that just launched um, using composability across Augur, ZeroX and ETH, um, building you know a prediction market with a slick UX, I think is a good step in the right direction. Um, my friends at Dharma Lever have created another product for crypto lending focused on the user experience. And until it gets to a point where it's as convenient, kind of one click, right, to make a transaction, um, as convenient as using other tech that we're used to, I don't think we're going to see mass adoption. So I've become more of a, of a crypto incrementalist over time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I always, I, I asked Crystal the same thing last week is like, where, where, how do we bridge the gap between, mm -hmm. okay, obviously there's a, you know, a small, uh, relatively small tunnel vision group of all of us saying, you know, crypto is the answer, crypto is the answer, but how do we take that and make it the, you know, mainstream where, you know, it's our parents or right. our grandparents or, and, and why should people care about it? Cause I, I think at this point you hit the nail on the head, they, they don't have a reason to care. Right. So mm -hmm. if they don't yeah. share these kind of beliefs, they, you know, from the start, like, they don't even know they need to care, you know. I think Which I think I what happens. I think what happens is uh, it takes a lot of these bull runs, right? Like the last bull run got you know you and me, um, you know, kind of maybe like guilty. Can, yeah, right. I mean, yeah. And 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 it's tears, right? Maybe the first run gets the more technical people. You know what I mean? Your devs and and that kind of thing. And then you know, guys like you and me are maybe more like, yeah, we we kind of know that stuff. We're young enough. Uh, where we can kind of see, you know, maybe we're tired of the old ways of, you know, the you know the old financial institutions. But I mean, for a perfect example, I set my, like, you know, I'm obviously into crypto. My wife, not that into crypto. I I, down, I <laughs> yeah. downloaded I downloaded her a wallet the other day, and sent her a couple of Ethereum just to hold on her, just to hold on her wallet just to see. I'm like, well, just check it out, and. Obviously, it was pretty good timing because well you know, done, nice eat, time. Eat, yeah. pump like someone's a, a traitor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she's like, "Is this what happens every day?" I'm like, "The opposite happens every day." I'm like, yeah. "This, this does not happen every day." But I mean, yeah, right. she had like, she she looks like obviously because I deal a lot in the U.S. Mm. Uh, I'm always looking at it in U.S. dollars, but she's looking at Canadian dollars. So the, oh, the number is even, it's, it's even greater. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, she's like, oh, she's like, you know, in one day, how much, how much the, it went up by? I'm like, yeah, I think I have an idea. <laughs> yeah. um, That's I mean, so but but oh. I think it's, I think it's things like that. Like the look on her face when she saw how much it started going up, she now yeah. is, I could see her reading she's on her phone and she's checking out you know, crypto blogs and stuff like that. Like she's starting to get into it. And I think that's what it takes. The opposite, the opposite, you know, kind of kicks people out of the space. Yeah. But some sort of positive momentum will hopefully bring more people in the next wave. 
I agree. I mean, I think, you know, Carlota Perez wrote this book called Technological Revolutions in Financial Capital. And I think it's a must read for anyone in the crypto space. Um, you know, it just talks about whenever you have a technological revolution, there's kind of this natural evolution in, in financial capital chasing it. Um, and, you know, you have this frenzy phase where prices start to increase dramatically and financial capital basically far exceeds the productive capacity of the underlying tech and it runs away with itself. Um, but these kind of frenzy periods and bubbles serve to bring new people into the space. And so new entrepreneurs, right, that are in, that see, you know, see the money making opportunity and say, OK, what can I build here? Um, how can I participate? And then there's a subsequent subsequent crash, which clears out a lot of the BS that comes from those bubble periods, as we've seen. But then it's sticky for some. Right. Who just get it for the long term. And so it's exactly what you just described. Um, the problem is when we have these kind of steep bubble, you know, price drops like that, you know, I, I can't imagine retail investors getting back in the space. Like if you think right. about Thanksgiving 18 or 17, <laughs> yep. right, the conversations that people were having. And then I'm sure if you went back Thanksgiving 18 and you had told your, you know, your friends and family, you have to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum and they did. You know, I don't even know if they were coming here Thanksgiving. Um, this right, exactly. year. So, so that's that's the challenge. Um, you know, price in and of itself is an interesting incentive, but there needs to be um, there needs to be more than just that. We need to be able to kind of use these things. And I think what you did is great. You know, getting it into your into your wife's hands, right, so that she could start to play with it and see how it yeah, works. Yeah, but I I honestly just gave her her, her future lawyer money. Like that's all. She's like, oh, it's 2020, and now it's you know, ten thousand dollars. I'm like, oh, okay, I can, go, I can go get that lawyer now. It's pretty yeah. funny, actually. I did the opposite this weekend. I was having the conversation with my fiance, and you know, she was asking me like some of these questions about bitcoin you know just from like and i went i went the other way and i kind of put the fear of god in her i i went the uh yeah i went the financial crisis route <laughs> and, <laughs> and went the scare tactic way and she was like wow that's pretty interesting i'm like yeah i know <laughs> so, there's both both sides of the animal spirits man you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. and fear. that's <laughs> so funny all right so let's move on to I think what Chamber is really chomping at the bit. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's <laughs> get fast, people fast forwarded already through this. No, 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 no. You, that was some really awesome stuff. I think a so. lot of people. Uh, before we get into this, I think a lot of people will be very impressed with the level of oh, cryptoness uh, that you brought. Uh, but it's funny. Um, we had. I don't even know. How, I, I think I was talking to one of my sisters. And she's like, oh, did you see like this? We, you know, we talk about what to watch on Netflix once in a while. And yeah. she's like, oh, I saw we just watched this doc, you know, great documentary, Fire. And I'm like, oh, it's funny you say that. You know, um, you know, one of the guys from 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 that show is going to be on our show, and they think I have a podcast. Like three people are listening to it. Uh, <laughs> and really it's, it's double it's that. at least twice that amount <laughs> um, there are there are dozens upwards of, of fans. dozens fans. Yeah. <laughs> but Big numbers. Uh, her face when she found out that you were going to be on the show was just like i'm like oh we got like the normies are going to listen to this show i think i think we'll get some normies <laughs> my dad even called afterwards he's like I heard that the, the fire guy's going to be on your show like, <laughs> he kept calling it the uh what did he call it he didn't call it fire it was uh Fry. Fry. It's exactly what Everybody he was calling said it. That. Anyone, for, anyone 40 and above calls it Fry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So too. we're gonna we're gonna tie this into you the real life wrecked story. So we always yes. ask our guests to share a real life wreck story. We've heard uh you know, we've heard some pretty crazy stories. I have a feeling this one is one of the most interesting that we're going to hear. Uh Chamber, you wanna you wanna start it off here by asking any questions particularly? Um yeah, I think when you when you're telling the story, make sure I, I just want to know what the timeline is. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, how long were you actually emotionally invested in this project, well, kind of it, thing? You know, I, it's hard because I'm not I'm not as good a storyteller as Chris Smith, who did the documentary. Right. You know, people people who have seen it kind of I think got a pretty good understanding of the story. I agree the timeline is a little bit skewed, um, so that's kind of you know kind of interesting um, to to share. But basically. I was um, I was introduced to Billy in March of 2017, probably like the second or third week in March. Um, 
you know, a friend of mine who's at a venture capital fund in New York had submitted a term sheet to invest in fire. And I think you'd be surprised at the number of kind of the level of interest from some major VCs in investing in this company uh, later, as we discovered, partially because the numbers you know, were faked in the investment documents. Um, But, you know, say what you will about Billy, he was a good storyteller. So, you know, I connected with him um, kind of middle of March and was flown out to the Bahamas the first weekend in April. It kind of overlapped. It was like March 30th-ish. And and I met Billy and I was, you know, we had a conversation about getting involved. My understanding was they needed help with production. The festival was um, about a month away four weeks uh, away and they needed, you know, they needed some help. And I had, um, you know, after my first startup, which I talked about, I kind of backed into the music industry. Um, I helped a company called Prime Social Group raise money in 2013 and was like, you know what? I'm sick of all this finance stuff. It's boring. Music is actually the business of fun and it makes sense to me and it's simple. And so I became an operating partner at Prime Social Group. Um, which is still operating today. We do about 200 shows a year in the Midwest in cities you've probably never heard of. And then I started my own festival called 90s Fest uh, in New York. <laughs> which, sounds like a baller <laughs> festival. <laughs> it, was, it, it was great, man. And we, and we can talk about that one as well. Um, but I've, I've also been wrecked many more times in fire. So I know this is the story that people want to hear, but we have other war stories as well. Um, and... You know, and so my friend who was looking to invest in kind of thought that I could support in in production. And obviously, you know, the rest is kind of history. I did my best and, you know, we solved a lot of problems. There were some really good people working on the production staff, some of whom you meet in the very the two documentaries. Um, but, you know, ultimately, some problems are just too big to solve. And, you know, sometimes you only have one reasonable solution. But when people are so invested in something emotionally, financially, um, you know, rep- with their reputations, et cetera, uh, it's really challenging to make that decision to not move forward. Sure. I mean, the stakes were gigantic. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a lot. Uh, it's not like, hey, let's go to, you know, let's drive to New York City for the weekend and go to this festival. It was, hey, let's fly to the bomb. <laughs> Yeah, you know the stakes for people going to the festival were gigantic. So, um, at what point did you just were you just like this is not going to work? Like what what was the the moment? Yeah, um, there were many moments uh, throughout the course of you know my month on this island where I was like, "There's no way this is going to work. Why am I here?" And then I have to admit, you know, just being honest, there were moments when I was like, maybe we can pull this off, (laughs) right? And I think that's what happens when you're stuck on an island with 20 event producers that are just working day in and day out to try to make something happen. There's this, like, cohesion, you know? We're all rowing in the same direction, like, never give up, um, you know, that kind of mindset. And, you know, I would say the time when I really thought it was over was about a week and a half to the festival and our caterer pulled out. Oh, and so we had no food and everyone was like, okay, you know, this is done. Like we did our best. You don't have food. You don't have a festival. Yeah. And, uh, a day later, Andy, who's in the documentary, everyone's favorite character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> flies. Is that, fly. the, that, that that's the, water the meme. One? That, that's yeah, the, yeah, that's the water meme. <laughs> that's the, he's the, uh, he's the payment alternative to crypto. Right. Andy payments. <laughs> Andy um, pay. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a funny meme about that, um, but you know he he actually you know he's a seasoned event producer and he flew to NASA, and within a day of our caterer having canceled, he had pulled in a new food supplier. Wow! And of course, you know one was Steven Star Catering, which is like upper echelon kind of fine dining, and the other was um, you know a Bahamian culinary company, right? with that's not fine dining and this is how you go from you know five star to cheese sandwich um (laughs) but you know i think i think one of the areas that was the major failure of the festival was you know we have a production staff that's working to solve problems and to try to make whatever experience could happen possible but the marketing had been so aggressive from the beginning and the messaging was never changed so 
the right thing to do when Steven Starr pulls out would have been to say, okay, we're updating all of our guests that this is the new food option, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you're sending out emails, please load, you know, load dollars onto our RFID bracelets one week out to try to get some kind of working capital to fund new expenses. But you know, the production staff is not sending out these marketing emails and we have no idea what's being discussed with, you know, with guests, but like the right thing is, Hey, our caterer pulled out, this is the new food option. Right. And then give the guests the opportunity to say, you know, this isn't what I paid for. And of course that never happened. So would you say that that's kind of the biggest, uh, failure was the, the setting of that expectation once we, once you kind of knew that that's not what was going to be provided? I mean, I think that's one of the failures, right? Um, honest communication from the get-go uh, would have probably saved this thing. I think this, the real failure was, you know, you have an opportunity to postpone this festival. You've been advised multiple times by multiple parties that there's not enough time to produce it the way that you want to, and by some to produce it at all. And, you know, canceling, maybe isn't an option, but you can say, hey, we're going to do this three months later. It's in the Bahamas, right? Beautiful weather year round. You have the agreement with the venue. Also, the weekend that fire was meant to be produced the first weekend was the busiest time of year on that island. It was during the National Regatta. And so we had a second weekend. And the site, at the very least, albeit much different than what had been promised to guests, would have been built. Right. And so, you know, you could have postponed to weekend two. We were about, I think, three days away from having, you know, the full site built. Um, And then, of course, it rained and, you know, Mm -hmm. that destroyed a lot of a lot of what had been built already. And so the biggest failure was not, you know, allowing your pride to get away from you and not postponing. The second biggest failure was not communicating with guests. And of course, you know, behind all of that, coming out of it, discovering how much just outright fraud was involved by Billy, you know, at the top, I think, is kind of what's shocking to people and why one of the reasons why they're so interested in this story. I, I think, I mean, you, you've watched the documentary. Have you? Yeah, it gives me P- it? PTSD. I was going to ask that first. I was going to ask if I'm, I'm sure Jeez. it does. What it gets was me your, anxious. What, yeah, it what makes was, me so anxious. What was your like thought on how the documentary was done, put together, all that kind of stuff? So, you know, you guys asked about timeline, right? I, I did fire kind of May 17, um, and I was off the island probably a week after the first guest's kind of trying to clean up some of the mess. So, you know, call it like May, I want to say like 15th, 2017. I met with Chris in September, either end of September or early October 2017 at the Vice headquarters in Venice. And, you know, that's at this point, I guess, a year and a half ago almost. Um, And I think I was one of his first interviews and at the time, I don't think he really thought there was a story there. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of questioned, why is this interesting? And I agree, right? It's just like people say, oh, it's just a bunch of rich kids that got what they deserved or whatever. And the shot in Freud of seeing rich people, right. you know, suffer, I think, is one of the other reasons why this thing went so viral. Um, but I think Chris did a really um, excellent job portraying the story. And, you know, I was personally shocked um, by a couple of things in the documentary, specifically what happened after, which that was, (laughs) 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 yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're under investigation by the FBI and then you're outright frauding people again, but this time you're, you want someone to film it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Seems counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when I spoke to Chris, one of the things that I would have liked more than the Netflix version, which I think Hulu ended up capturing, was kind of the broader trend of social media, you know, and its role in all of this. I think part of the reason why it wasn't so featured in Netflix was because of this extra footage of Billy that was captured, you know, which added another 20 or 30 minutes to the doc of, like, this really is a character shot, right? To see someone, you know, doing that in the position that he was in is just... I mean, it's, you can't even believe it. It's shocking. That's pretty wild. I, have two, I was fascinated. I, I have by two it. questions about <laughs> yes. the, uh, the festival. Um, 
two ways uh, that I'm thinking it, it, it could have been saved or, you know, had these happen, would it have been saved? So if, do you think if it hadn't rained, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the few days leading up to it, do you think it would have succeeded or at least succeeded to a point where we wouldn't have any documentaries? You know what I mean? Like it may have been a, wow. like a failure or like, do you it's think the weird. rain was just kind of like the last nail in the coffin? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly was. It's really hard to say exactly um, how things would have turned out. But, you know, a number of challenges arose because of the rain, right? And any good festival should have a rain plan anyways. And it shows right. you just, just how, you know, behind Especially we were. Audience. Yeah, just how behind we were. Um, but it rained. It didn't just rain, like, you know, slowly. It just came, like, pouring thunder and lightning rain the night before the festival at like 2 a.m. That's crazy. It was crazy, right? So there was no chance that any of this could have gone through now. Um, You know, at the time, I think there were around 1,100 guests that were supposed to arrive on that Thursday. Mm -hmm. And there were were enough tents for the guests that were arriving and enough beds. Um, So had they gone directly to the site, picked up their bags immediately at the site. Right. Um, had our hospitality staff not been stuck on the cruise ship that we sourced seven days before the festival because of the weather. Mm-hmm. And they're greeting them and directing them. There were around 40 hospitality staff that could not get off of this cruise ship. I had sourced the cruise ship seven days before the festival because we didn't have enough housing offsite for staff, for investors, for influencers, um, for press. And that's and, what we were talking about shipping back and forth from the cruise ship to the island at night. And stuff. Yeah, it was it was tendering. The boat was tendering. The cruise ship was 20. It, it was the, the best option we had, but it was exactly 20 feet too long for the dock. And we were trying with the Coast Guard to be able to dock it. Um, and they just couldn't. They wouldn't allow us to do it. It was just too dangerous um, to try to bring it into into the dock right. like 20, 20 feet too long. And so, you know, we were tendering using lifeboats to the cruise ship. And it, that's obviously not luxury. Um, and when they're, when the seas are rough, you know, we had staff staying there cause there weren't enough beds for staff and the last shipment of, um, of equipment never came to the Island, not because of weather, but because it wasn't paid for. And that included walkie talkies, right. For us to communicate as a production staff. So the communication was all happening via cell phone, cell service is bad. Phones are dying. You don't have walkie talkies. That's a big issue. Yeah. Um, all of the air mattresses that we had sourced which was included in the headcount for beds uh, offsite, never came. Um, so could the festival have happened? Um, it might have happened for the first day of festival goers. I certainly don't think that it could have supported the full capacity of all of the people that were coming. I think we would have had to cut it at a certain number. Um, you know, on, on a bright, on a positive note, Luca, who's in the documentary from Unreal Productions, you know, his team worked all day, all night to build two stages. And there was music on day one. That's one thing people don't realize. There was oh, interesting. There was house music. Um, a group of DJs under the label Zero um, were performing even before the main acts pulled out. Um, I think the main acts pulled out also because there was not enough money to pay them uh, the remaining fee and acts, especially of that caliber, are very particular about getting paid up front fully. Of course, yeah. So, I, you know, in that regard, I'm not sure there was enough money to pay the acts. And so, would they have performed? Probably not. And then you have a bunch of people on an island without the acts that were promised. And so, it was going to be a disaster. There was no way for it to, you know, to um, to go through completely. But I think it would have been would have been slightly more manageable. So I guess the second part would be the RFID bracelets. If we had swapped those for uh, phone apps that had cryptocurrency on it, do you think that would have saved it? <laughs> <laughs> the whole time I'm watching that documentary, I'm waiting for, and then they pivoted to um, some fire sort of utility ICO. token. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it never happened. It never happened. A fire token would have been terrific. Oh, uh, my God. Fire but, coin. Could you imagine? Yeah. Uh, I, made but, a, I made a joke in a Telegram chat the other day about that. And, uh, you know, someone was like, seriously? I think it was like a major fund manager. Like, it's not with outside of the realm of believability that they might have pursued doing a token. I was waiting for it the whole time. 
<laughs> never never came up. <laughs> I mean, a lot of ICOs definitely remind me of fire. Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, that was what I was going to say. I was going to say, like, you know, being in the space, that's what I was thinking watching this documentary. Talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what, maybe draw a comparison or two to, you know, what people should look out for in, in crypto uh, to help themselves not fall, you know, prey to something similar. Yeah, I mean, it's really simple. If it's too good to be true, it probably is, right? Like, that's just such wise advice that many of us never take, myself included. You know, you see kind of the bright, shiny object and we're drawn, you know, we're drawn to it. And so, and then also there's always FOMO. If you're driven by FOMO, that's another potential red flag. You know, fire was successful in selling tickets because people wanted to live a lifestyle that they felt they weren't living otherwise. They had they they wanted to partake in this once in a lifetime opportunity to live like an Instagram model or an influencer to be with them. And, you know, ICOs in the same way, you know, people might have, you know, sat on the sideline and trusted their intuition that a lot of these were vaporware. Um, but when you see people making 20x returns or 100x returns on their quote unquote investment into an ICO, how many of those before you say, you know what, I'm just going to roll the dice on this. And so FOMOing into something is never a good idea. Um, obviously, you know, what Fire had was great marketing um, and not a lot of substance. And I think that there are some ICOs that have this as well. You can compare the influencers to the advisors on some of the white papers of these ICOs. Oh, this advisor's there, it's going to win, right? And what is the advisor's role? Did they just receive some tokens to put their name on it? Um, so that's definitely somebody to look out for. I think, you know, the ICO boom is done. Um, I don't think people will have to worry about that going forwards, I hope. Um, I think we've come down to more rational you know, investment opportunities, valuations have come down. There's been enough pain that I don't see retail investors coming back into this space um, strictly for price movements in the foreseeable future. Um, but yeah, I think those are some some red flags. All right, one one more question, and then we'll move on. No, I fine. just uh, <laughs> I, I just was googling this morning, and I saw this article which just made me laugh ja rule teases plans for reboot after oh, fire festival oh disaster holla, holla. <laughs> oh my god what's the uh, saying there's no such thing as bad press right how does that how, how does that headline make you feel i i'm watching you on the hangout and your skin is crawling. <laughs> i mean i mean come on Here's right. the quote. He said, it's the most iconic festival that the, that never was. So I have plans to create the iconic music, music festival, but you didn't hear it from me. And that's a video on video on, on video. TMZ. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't hear from me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the reality is that there are luxury music festivals that exist um, that are kind of small and bougie and in a tourist environment right. and have big acts. You know, fire exists already. There's probably like five to ten fires, right? Um, without even you know trying to trying to think of names, there's a festival called Onda Linda in Cadiz, Mexico, where you have to, you know, you have to rent a private villa to participate in the festival, and the ticket price is like eighteen hundred dollars or something like that. And you know, it's this lux fest that people like Sounds Elon nice. Musk go to, and yeah, it's it's nice. you know it's or supposedly, I don't know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's that's one. I feel like these luxury uh, festivals wouldn't have the type of music I'd want to listen to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of deep house, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm going to do a lot of drugs, but uh, I, want <laughs> I want a particular type of music. What, what kind of music? <laughs> uh, not, not the fest. I, I like the... Um, the more granola crunchy festivals, I think, would be more my speed. Yeah, like a little string cheese incident. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like uh, yeah, no, ex exactly like that. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big. All right, Chamber. This is a good spot to go into that next segment. Then we're running. We'll, we're going to skip some news. We'll go right into that next segment. I'm going to let you uh, let you lead it off here. So uh, we're talking what would be 
Mark's dream music festival. So Chamber, take the <laughs> take the go at it. At, yeah, at leading it. Here. I had uh, I had lovingly called it the Ice Festival, which was spelled I with a Y. I think that's what Ja wants to call his new festival. Is that right? Okay, well we're gonna we're gonna patent pen that thing. Um, yeah, we should throw a, we should definitely market. throw a copyright on that now. Yeah. <laughs> Ice <laughs> Festival with a Y. Um, and we're also gonna have a token. <laughs> that's right. That's where you guys went wrong. Tokenize, tokenize the festival. <laughs> but obviously, you know, like you'd mentioned, you're, you're having maybe some PTSD while watching the, uh, the documentaries. Perfect world. Um, you know, you get to, you, you have unlimited funds. You don't have to fleece anybody for them. Um, where would you have your perfect music festival? Who would be there? And, you know, who are some of the influencers, you know, that you would use to, to help promote it? <laughs> <laughs> this question's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I'm a ridiculous person. I love it. Um, where would I, all the budget in the world, yeah. all of the... M- money is, yeah, money is no, no you know... Uh, Bitcoin is at a million dollars a all coin. Right, great. You have... <laughs> you found Satoshi's magic I wallet. <laughs> Um, let's see. I think that I would hold the festival in Florianopolis, Brazil. Um, I would, I mean, I already tried to create my like dream festival. It was called nineties fest. I was going to say, was it called nineties fest? It was basically, (laughs) it was basically just the problem with nineties fest was I couldn't convince the acts that I really wanted to perform to perform under the name nineties fest. Because who they don't want? want to be considered '90s acts. Who are some of those like names? Acts of my childhood, man, like Third Eye Blind, Bush, yes. Smashing Pumpkins. How are, um, they, are they not self-aware enough that they this is '90s music? Like, I mean, they're artists. They have egos. They're, yeah, they're artists. They have new albums. Third Eye now. Blind, though. I mean, come on. Let's Chumbawamba. You know, we talk, <laughs> <laughs> just to come we out have, for one song. <laughs> we have uh, we have a. a torrid history with Chumbawamba. Yeah, we yeah. used a clip of their song in <laughs> I love so one of our of their, episodes for two seconds. I love so many they, of their deep cuts, too. Yeah, they got us flagged on YouTube. Oh, my God. Of course, man. They have to make Which means Chumbawamba's out there listening mm-hmm. to us somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Chumbawamba, if you're listening, you guys should have done 90s Fest in New York. <laughs> we tried to book them. Um, so that was it? It was because they didn't want to be billed as 90s you know, bands? A lot, of, a lot of acts. It was like this kind of challenge. They didn't want to be billed as 90s bands, you know. And so we had kind of like our tier one targets and then our tier two targets. And, you know, we never really secured one of the one of the biggest tier. TLC was the closest we got. Oh. Um, you know, they were making a comeback. They just released a new album. We did that show in Columbus, Ohio. Um, that was a good one. Uh, you know, don't go chasing waterfalls. Oh, sure. I just, no I just, I just introduced my five-year-old to TLC. We were listening. It's to a good TV. lesson for ICO investors. So good. <laughs> I think that's the. I think both of their songs. Hashtag no scrubs. Hashtag don't go, don't chasing, go chasing waterfalls. waterfalls. <laughs> Those are our hashtags for the episode. That's chamber. that's, that's Brecky's new uh, new video. He's going to do with voiceovers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So you know, I I don't know. I just think there's something about like nostalgia that's really powerful, and I wanted to go back to being a kid again. Nostalgia is like the reverse FOMO. Exactly. <laughs> it's like I did it, so let's do it again. It's yeah. such a good point. It's the op- it was the opposite of fire because it was like intentionally cheesy. You know, it wasn't like cool. Right. Exactly. Like we had Nickelodeon sliming people. That was fun. <laughs> That's um, awesome. <laughs> what influencers? Paulie Shore would have to promote it. He was a host. Yeah, like, like Bill Nye, maybe? <laughs> Bill Nye would be great. We that'd be a good that'd be a, I, like I, a science I, segment. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have Britney Spears promote it, you know. Yes. Yeah. Was, ja Rule could I still promote it. <laughs> we, almost booked ja, pardon, we almost booked Ja Rule. I was still doing 90s Fest uh, when I would consult. He was late Fire, 90s, I think, right? We were, we were trying to get Ja to perform at 90s Fest uh, after Fire. And then, of course, Fire happened and we didn't want much to do with him. But, yeah, poor Ja. Uh, I, I know job. I know people you know, want to hate on him, but I don't think he had any clue. Like, he came down to the island and it was all like, Really? I was going to ask that, and I didn't know if he... Yeah, like, you know, like, it's just... He's a hype. He was a hype man. Like, I don't think he knew. 
That's how I feel about it, at least. I, Other I, people I, might I would disagree. disagree with that. <laughs> of, course, that's interesting. They, of course, then they caught him, you know, in the fire, you know, phone call being like, it's not fraud, it's false advertising. And right, like, exactly. Just like, well, I think that alone, I think, I think that statement alone shows how little he really knew. <laughs> he doesn't know the difference yeah. between fraud and false advertisement. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I'm sure he later figured it out, but yeah. It will, yeah. I've been trying yeah. to get a pair of his sunglasses that he wears. Oh yeah, I, I don't know what I don't know what they are. I'm like, that, I like love those sunglasses, those Jawaro sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, but I think a festival in Brazil would be cool. I love Brazilian. A '90s festival in Brazil. Yeah, with, with Polly Shore, Polly Shore, Shore, Britney Spears, and Bill Nye as social yeah. influencers. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. Exactly, exactly. Then, and Hootie and the Blowfish reunion. Oh yeah, oh, my God, that would be so big. Speaking of, that's crunchy, a great one. Yeah, that's yeah. so good. Oh. Man, 90s Fest sounds baller. I would have totally been into it. 90s, 90s Fest was so fun, man. It was like, it was one of that day in New York, the first one we did, it was like one of the greatest days of my we, life. It was awesome. We had a music festival in in my hometown here. Um, and, it, and it was, it wasn't a 90s Fest, but it was definitely like 90s band. I don't know what they called it. Maybe they called it 90s Fest. I don't know. But it was mm-hmm. like, um, uh, who sings like Santa Monica? Remember uh, back in the day? Uh, Cheryl Crow? No, 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 no. The. We had we had the the offspring was here. Oh, uh, nice! Um, Bad we, habit. Up, who else was it? Uh, but yeah, offspring was real good. Sublime um, with Rome. Sublime. With Rome. I've saw I've saw them. I I, I was a big Sublime fan was when I was a kid, and then when this new Rome guy came, I'm like, uh, I don't like it when they change. I think Bad. I think Bad Fish, the cover band, is better than Sublime with Rome. A hundred percent. Hundred um, percent. Ooh, Green Day. Green Day would be so cool. Green I remember Day. Dookie was like my first album that I was, you know, thinking about girls. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> is that the one where they had the secret track at the end? Yeah, it was a, I think so. I think so. It was a tape. They all used to have secret track. Secret. Yeah, that that, that yeah. sounds that sounds right. No, I think mine was um, Sixteen Stone by Bush. That was my ooh. first like. I'm like I see what this guy's doing, and the girls are going out like this guy. I'm like I'm gonna start doing some of this stuff. I, that's when I learned how to start to play guitar. You were so close to getting Bush, yeah, Glycerine. You know, that's like the oh, easiest yeah. song on the guitar. It's a great way oh, to impress. That stuff that, that <laughs> helped me through. That helped me through some times in uh, in grade school and high school. I would like to do. I would like to do one hit wonder fest. Yes, yes, <laughs> that would be great. Yes. And like, it, but each each band would only come up and do you know their one hit wonder song, maybe plus one. Like, yeah, you, plus you a deep them, cut. Yeah, plus <laughs> plus their personal favorite. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's definitely something we explored. I don't think we wanted to call it one hit wonders. I think the artist would have been very upset. Right. Of course. It was called like the hit stage or something. Um, oh you know one backing dj and then people come up and do their track like lfo or oh um, my god <laughs> who, who else you know well we had coolio perform actually he oh was, really yeah like three songs so you know not one hit uh we got i remember for the first 90s fest we were front page of reddit because uh somebody spilled a, a beer on coolio while taking a picture and it was like this picture <laughs> this girl spilling a beer on coolio that's <laughs> awesome <laughs> it was great all right, Chamber, what is our next musical fire segment slash crypto segment here I, that we got? I call this one Crypto Switcheroo. <laughs> <laughs> and in this segment, uh, <laughs> I usually I usually just write things down quickly and I like I like my like, switcheroo. I like the I like the, the, the sound of that one. <laughs> so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take uh, uh, you know people from the documentary. And you just okay. give their crypto equivalent, whether it's you know, you know, people that are in charge of major projects, people that are on Twitter, whatever you want to do, but crypto related. Uh, we'll start with, you know, let's start with Ja Rule. Let's let's start with let's start with Ja. Oh, my God, this is gonna be good. I'm gonna make no no friends by doing this. <laughs> um, all right, um, Roger Ver is Ja Rule. Wow. All right. You know, I like that. He, he's the hype man. You know, he went with, he did the Bitcoin cash thing. Then he went and did another fork. So that's like his ice festival. Uh, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I like it. I, that's a good one. I, I was thinking hard on this one. Uh, Bunch, you have a, did you, 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 you agree with that one? I want to know who, he did the Mount Gox video after Mount Gox or right when he said something about, you know, the funds are safe. Yep. That's like Ja Rule saying it's not fraud. It's, that's, uh, that's a good point. I, I, yeah, that's that's the right answer. <laughs> All right, well let's do let's do let's do Billy. Let's do Billy McFarlane. 
Oh my God! What's the big connects guy guy's name? <laughs> that's it, Carlos Matos. Carlos Matos. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> See, I was thinking more Trayvon. I feel like Carlos didn't know what he was doing, and I felt like Trayvon knew what he was doing. All right, then maybe maybe it's Trayvon. <laughs> also. There might be- there might be some other Billies out there, by the way. There could be. There could that. be. Uh, in hiding in plain sight. <laughs> Do we know if uh, Billy McFarland's related to Seth McFarland? Because they kind of have like a they have a look, they have a similar look going about them. I'm looking at a picture yeah. of Billy right now. I'm like, they kind of do, right? Like, no, I'm, not, I'm not alone on that one. Not, I don't know if they're related, so I'm not going to comment on that. I don't know if they're related. <laughs> you can ask Seth. You can tweet it. Uncle Seth, can you give me some money? I want to make a new. <laughs> I want to make a new <laughs> festival. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, there was an article apparently about Billy that he's like in jail and he's got you know a crew and like five businesses running right now. Oh, does my that? God. Yeah, he's that probably, shock he's me. selling tickets. That he yeah, he's doing. So he's doing something. <laughs> they screened the documentary. He's like a hero in there, right here. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean that that tracks though. Like yeah, his no, personality it, it is oh, yeah, he's a charmer. He yeah. he lives on the. Uh, he's like a tightrope walker. You know what I mean? You could tell like. He's re- it's ready to collapse on either side at any time, but he's you know he's he's going down that line, walking on the razor's edge. Uh, that's right. <laughs> let's see who Jet else. Chamber, you got any more? Um, yeah, let's do. Oh um, no. What's oh, oh I forget. Yeah, who is the lady in charge of uh, of of food? Uh, because I want to give her a proper shout. See, I I felt. Oh, Marianne. Yeah, Mary- Marianne. That one, I, I really felt. I'm like, oh, that well, one hits you in well, the feels. News, right in the feels. Good news on Marianne. Um, you know, one of the reasons I actually agreed to do this documentary because, you know, I, I didn't have to associate with my, myself with fire publicly. And a couple of others on the production staff, like Mark and Andy, decided to do it was because we wanted to raise awareness for the people that weren't paid. And um, right. we created this GoFundMe account for Marianne. She was owed, I think she said, she was in debt like 50-something thousand, but she was owed like 120000 from the festival gross. And she, through this GoFundMe, has gotten $200,000. Uh, really? So Marianne, yeah, she's been repaid in full plus. And we're hoping that she'll donate the excess to another GoFundMe that we started um, for the workers um, in partnership with the Exuma Foundation, uh, which is a non-for-profit that does work on the island. And we're raising money for them right now as well. So some positive well, things uh, came out of this. But Marianne is basically the ICO investor um, in the crypto world who got in it in January January right. 1st, 2018. Oh, oh. Did, let's get those GoFundMes and we'll link them out tomorrow for sure. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, the Marianne's done, so I'll send you the other one. Okay, good. Okay, awesome. last Definitely. one. I only have one left. Okay. Oh no! I know who it's going to be. You know be. who it's going to be. I can't think of who this would be Andy. in the crypto world. I got to yeah. know who Andy is. I was just, of course. <laughs> who, who's always willing to take one for the team in the crypto space? hundred <laughs> percent <laughs> committed. He's I don't so know. Committed. I, I don't. You know, uh, he's a bunch one. Of, of, he's one bunch of you got any thoughts on that one? Man, I'm not sure. Because uh, it's almost like a compliment. It's, it's not disparaging. I mean, it is a compliment. Yeah. The dude, no, would, totally uh, dude a compliment. would do anything yeah. for crypto. Uh, I mean, there's got to be, there's plenty I mean, of I, out there. I, I mean, I don't want to offend. Um, I, I I, there's so many names it's I want to throw out. As it's too, complimentary. It's, it's as a compliment yeah. if we're like cutting out. Yeah, yeah, right. The, the cutting out the, the act. Water. Yeah, cutting exactly. out the act of the Commit, water, We're only the, talking on the, the commitment level. The commitment level, level and the intention. Um, you know, I would pomp is like you know the the biggest guy in the space for, oh, that's for totally promoting true. Bitcoin. Yeah, like yeah. no one's more committed to Bitcoin than Pomp. Pomp right? is He's the out there. Of yeah, I mean, Pomp, like, <laughs> don't kill me, don't kill me, man. He's also jacked and like you know, it's, it's okay. don't kill me only for only for commitment. Level. For commitment, yeah, that's what we're saying. I want to know who who would be Delroy the bartender. <laughs> oh, the, he was one of my favorites. Where he just goes, he just looks at the camera. He's like. Who the fuck orders $2 million worth of booze? <laughs> <laughs> He's the voice of reason of, of crypto. Uh, hold do, on. I, well, do we, yeah, but I, I was going to say Cynthia would be the other one. <laughs> Cynthia no. would be ordering the $2 million yeah. worth of booze. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, the, the voice of reason in the crypto space is uh, is probably, you know, who who is, who is going against ICOs, like, from the start, right? Oh, yeah, I wasn't Larry, listening. Larry, Larry, 
Larry Chermak at the block. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> he could be a good one. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. There's <laughs> plenty of people. That's awesome. My wife. Maybe it's my wife. Actually, it's the it's the multi coin guys. You yeah. know, they're they're the voice of reason. Well, <laughs> thanks for playing along with us. That's I terrific. know you probably have just been, uh, yeah, I, I know you're probably getting bombarded with fire stuff, but I I think uh, we tried to do a good job of showcasing your your crypto intelligence as well. And I think, like Chambers said, most people will be uh, very impressed for sure. So we cool. definitely appreciate uh, your time and uh, playing along with us with some silly fire games. Oh, no, it was, it was really fun, man. I hope, you know. Uh, hopefully uh people like it and we can talk about other things besides fire devil uh, ne- yeah <laughs> definitely we'll definitely have you back on for sure and then um but so you know we also want to give you a you know opportunity to talk about anything that you're working on where can people find you who do you want to hear from things like that yeah absolutely so um wave maker genesis under wave financial um, looking for you know the top projects in the space um, that are building. So if, if you're building something, you know please reach out. Um, you know we have email available on the website wavegp.com. Um, you know always looking to connect with some of the brightest minds in the space that are actually heads down building um, as far as investment goes. Uh, otherwise, you know that's it. I'm Wark Meinstein on, on Twitter. Uh, talk about some crypto stuff there and yeah that's that's it i mean we're doing some we're doing some interesting things otherwise but mostly focused on institutions um so non trying to bring more non-crypto native people into the space that's awesome cool well like i said mark we really appreciate your time we had a lot of fun uh hopefully you did as well um this will be coming out on thursday so everybody out there uh Keep your eyes down for this, and uh, that's it. Chamber, you got any anything else? No, I'm good. I'm. Uh, I, I I had a blast. I thought that was a, that was you know nice to see the uh, the participation. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> that was that was really fun. I appreciate yeah. it. Awesome. So, as always, until next time, don't get wrecked, and that is financial advice. <laughs>